Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Well, the government is officially reopened. Apparently, the government shut down over the weekend, or maybe it was on Friday. And earlier today, Congress voted to reopen it. And the good news that the government is back in business sent the stock markets to record highs. The Dow, the Nasdaq, the S&P all rallied on the good news. Of course, the good news was the government shutdown, except it's not really shut down, right? I mean, if they actually shut the government down, that would be great news. The bad news is that it's not shut down. It's open for business, right? If they if they really shut down government, right, people would like it, at least a lot of people. But the problem is in the past, when they shut down government, normally government gets bigger during the shutdown, right? Let's say they close a national park. They'll have more government workers to make sure nobody uses the park because it's closed than were working there when the park was open. So the whole thing is a farce, right? They, I remember reading an article one year during a government shutdown that there were businesses that needed permits, but the permit office wasn't open. And so they couldn't get the permits they needed. And so they couldn't do what they needed to do. And the coverage was, see, this is how bad it is when government is shut down because people can't get their permits. Well, if government was shut down, you shouldn't need the permit. It should be that if government shuts down, you can do what you want. You, you don't need a government permit if the government is shut down. Because the problem wasn't the government shutdown. It was the regulations were still there. And so they just took away uh, the bureaucrat to allow you to get the permit. But it was government that required the permit in the first place. So if we really had no government, let's say during a government shutdown, they said, 
No one has to pay any taxes, right? All the federal taxes don't count during the shutdown. How many people would be rooting for the government to reopen if it meant that they had to start paying taxes again? So a real government shutdown where all the taxes and all the regulations were suspended during the time of the shutdown, hey, that'd be great. But government is not shut down. It is open for business. And that means it is destructive business because government is power. It is very destructive. You know, I thought it was you know, kind of typical or funny. But the minute the news came out that they had the votes to open the government, the dollar rallied and gold sold off. They weren't, they weren't big moves, but the dollar was negative on the day and it rallied positive. And gold was up a few bucks and it went negative, right? Because the lemmings, the way they react to this is, oh, this is good, right? Because they thought the dollar was falling because of the government shutdown. The dollar going down had nothing to do with the government shutdown. In fact, the minute I saw that, I, I tweeted out. And I don't know if, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you should follow me. I think I only have about 110,000 followers. So it's uh, the social media. I have the fewest uh, number of people on, on my Twitter account. So if you don't follow me, maybe you, you should follow me. But I put out a tweet as the dollar rallied. And I said, sell the dollar. This is a great trade. I said, because the government opening up is bad for the dollar. It is bearish. It is not bullish because it clears away any obstacles to more government spending and more debt. And sure enough, the dollar went down and made new lows. So the dollar index closed near the lows of the day. It's probably the lowest close of the year. We're at 90 spot uh, 365. So the dollar trend continues. Gold managed to recover. It was up a couple of bucks. Again, gold is still not breaking out because I think too many people are enamored with the stock market and they think nothing can go wrong. When, as I've said, not only can something go wrong, everything will go wrong. Look at the bond market. The bond market's got it right. The bond market sold off on the news that the government wasn't shutting down because that means more borrowing, more spending. Here is the key. If you look at the yield on the 10-year Treasury, this is the high yield. You have to go all the way back to early 2014, uh, January 2014, to get a yield this high. But what's more important, the 200-month moving average on the 10-year yield is 2.78. We're at 2.67, basically. We're almost there. We could be there tomorrow. We have not traded above that moving average since uh, early 2010. That was eight years ago. We haven't been above the moving average. And we only got above it briefly, and then we came right back below it. If we can sustain a move above that moving average, which hasn't been done, uh, I don't know, we got above it a little bit in 2008, right before the financial crisis. And of course, remember, it was that 4% yield that crushed the market uh, because we couldn't handle that debt, that, that level of interest. Well, if we couldn't handle a 4% tenure when the national debt was less than half the size it is now. I mean, how are we going to handle it this time? But the key is the charts look like we could be approaching an explosive move up in interest rates. Now, it's possible that doesn't happen, but there's certainly, if you look at this chart, there is a decent probability that it's going to happen. But the stock market is oblivious to the, the possibility. They're like, they couldn't care less. They still think that interest rates going up is some reflection of a strong economy. It's actually not. It's the reflection of inflation. It's the reflection of a weak dollar. And it is the Achilles heel for this economy. Remember, the economy is built on a foundation of cheap money. You take away that foundation and everything that's been erected on top of it is going to come crashing down. So all the signs are there. Everybody is ignoring it. 
Oil, once again, back at $64 a barrel. Nice day today. Look at these oil stocks. They are on fire. I mean, some of these foreign oil stocks that I have, some of these things have doubled in the last month or two. I mean, these things are coming back from the grave, right? Because the whole bull market is being revived. I mean, a year ago, people were saying, oh, we're never going to see $100 oil again. It's going to be at 30 40 forever, right? These guys were clueless. We could see it this year. I think we're at least going to see 80 but we'll see 100 next year. But these things, rising oil prices, which are a reflection of a weak dollar, rising interest rates, which are a reflection of a weak dollar that keeps getting weaker, and they are whistling past this graveyard on, on, on Wall Street. People are so you know, excited that they can't lose. You know, I had a, a client today who's closing her account. I tried to talk her out of it, and, and I don't think I did. She seemed like she had her mind made up uh, to do the exact worst thing that you can do. She had about a quarter million with me in an IRA. And so what she's decided to do, because she said she's not happy with her return over the past three years. She started at a bad time. She started early 2015. 2015 was a very bad year for us because the dollar was very strong. Now, her account is ahead. And over the last two years, she's actually beaten the S&P, right? But over the last three years, she hasn't because she had that big drop. And so she's like, well, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not happy with the returns. And so I want to do something different. And I, I want to take less risk. So I asked her what she's doing. And she is buying an annuity in her IRA, which, number one, you never want to do. You never want to buy an annuity in an IRA. I mean, if you're going to buy an annuity, you got to buy it with taxable money because now you get the, the tax deferral. But if you got an IRA, you've already got tax deferral. I mean, this is the stupidest thing that people do. And the only reason that people buy annuities in IRAs is because the salesmen make a fortune selling them. And so they have a vested interest in talking people into buying these things in their IRAs. But she was buying an annuity that's linked to the S&P 500. And she thinks she's taking less risk. Buying into the U.S. stock market at this valuation because she wants to take less risk. I mean, come on. And she's taking massive risk. Now, of course, I know they have all these gimmicks because they say, well, you can't lose because if the market goes down, we'll guarantee you some minimal return. Yeah, that's a minimal return in U.S. dollars. And, of course, if you change your mind, if you want your money back, if you want to surrender your policy, that's when you take an enormous hit. So in order to avoid that hit, you take an even bigger hit by not surrendering and letting inflation completely destroy the value of money. So I feel very bad for this woman because, you know, I dealt her a winning hand. All she had to do is hold it and then lay her cards down at the end of the game. But no, she's bluffed out. She's getting bluffed out into this gigantic speculative mania in the stock market. I mean, I guess I, I guess it could be worse, right? She could be putting the money into Bitcoin. Uh, but, you know, she's buying this annuity. But this is the mentality, right? Nothing can go wrong. Everything is great. And look at all these warning signs that nobody is noticing. In fact, they will rationalize the warning signs as if they're not even warning of anything. It's good, right? It's all a reflection of, of good things. And again, that is the same attitude that people have in, in, in cryptocurrency. You know, I've got a, uh, a debate. I'm at this uh, a resource conference, Cambridge House Resource Conference in, uh, in, in Vancouver. And uh, yesterday I gave my keynote talk. And it'll probably be up on the Internet. Uh, at some point, they always put these things up and I usually copy them and put them on my YouTube channel. Um, so you'll be able to see it. I did my workshop today. Uh, later today, I'm on a panel. It's me and Jim Rickards. But I think there's only one guy that's going to take the pro Bitcoin. And so uh, it's the two of us that are pro gold. It's gold versus Bitcoin uh, debate. I don't know why it's two against one, because as far as I'm concerned, I could be one against 10 and, I, and, it, and I'd still have an advantage when it comes to when it comes to this debate. But you know, I was talking to a guy today, um, and 
you know, was telling me, you know, one of, the, one of his arguments that, you know, why, you know, how I could be wrong. He said, look, look at all these millennials, you know, all, that, are, that are buying, uh, you know, Bitcoin, you know, they, they're going to keep buying it because, you know, they don't want to open up a brokerage account. It's not that they don't want to open up a brokerage account. They can't afford to open up a brokerage account. Yeah, they have they have 100 bucks, 500 bucks they can throw, you know, in, in a casino of cryptocurrencies. But they're only doing that because they want to get rich. And then I remember the, the guy was telling me that, well, what about all these smart people, you know, that are putting all this money and developing this? I mean, are you telling me they're all wrong? I said, absolutely. They're all wrong. I mean, they're all caught up. They can't see. I mean, I've had so many arguments with um, – with the people that have been that are caught up in it, that, that, that I know what it's like. I mean, they've created a wall around them where you know nothing will penetrate it, right? No matter what you say, ra- rationality will not appeal to the fanatics. Now, but I think there are a lot of people that have come in recently. I mean, I don't think they're fanatic about it. They they they, they just think they're going to get rich quick, and and so as soon as the bubble pops, you know they're out, right? They'll they'll they'll, they'll look for another gamble. We'll see what happens now. You know, we're back. We're holding on to ten thousand. We're around ten thousand seven hundred. You know, after we got down to 9,000 last week, we actually made it all the way back up to 14,000 in a few days. And now we've gone from 14,000, we're back down below 11,000. I mean, this is incredible volatility, but you'll notice we are still trending down. But anyway, I didn't want to talk too much about Bitcoin on this podcast because I'm going to do this debate later today and it'll probably be up on the internet. I doubt it'll be as heated as the one I did with Max Kaiser. He's, he's not here. Uh, but that one's up by the internet. That one, he was, you know, he was like a, like in a, like a, like a preacher, like an evangelist, right? You know, praise Bitcoin, hallelujah, right? It was, it was all, it was all like a revival. Like I was in church. That was his whole argument, right? But the more important topic is that the dollar continues to weaken, making new lows today. Interest rates continue to rise, making new highs today. Commodity prices look like they're going to continue to go up. Commodity stocks continue to rise. A lot of these emerging market and foreign stocks, you know, have woken up out of a long hibernation. Of course, they woke up last year, but now they're really starting to move. And you look on CNBC, you look at Fox Business, there's nobody like me out there. Not that there's that many people like me to begin with, but there's nobody telling this story. Everybody has a version of the bullish story. And, you know, the only bear is somebody who only thinks the market's going to go up 10% this year as opposed to 20%. I mean, there's no real concern out there. And if anybody's concerned, well, yeah, maybe it's a few years away, we'll have a correction. The magnitude of what's coming is enormous, right? This has happened, though. People, when they, you know, they believe that since we didn't get the inflation right away, right? Oh, we printed all this money. And look, you see, all the warnings were wrong. There was no inflation. There's plenty of inflation. In the stock market, in the bond market, in the real estate market, you name it. There's been a lot of inflation. People don't want to recognize that for what it is. But the inflation in consumer prices is just getting started. I mean, we've we've hidden a lot of it beneath these manipulated government numbers. But the, the, the price increases that are going to be unleashed on the American consumer over the next several years are going to be so high that there's going to be no way to camouflage them. With these phony statistics, they're going to be there. And, and again, people who thought because there was no immediate, right? We printed all this money and prices didn't immediately surge. And so people said, oh, see, Peter Schiff is wrong. There's no inflation. No, Peter Schiff was right. 
The definition of inflation is the expansion of the money supply. That's what inflation means. It means to expand. What's being expanded? Not prices. It's money supply that's being expanded. What are the results of the expansion of the money supply? Prices go up. And they have gone up. And they're going to go up a lot more. And all those financial prices. See, financial assets are a means to an end. Nobody wants financial assets because they want the asset. They want what they can buy with the income the asset produces, or they want what they can buy with the proceeds that they derive when they sell the asset. So it's just a transitionary thing. Ultimately, everybody wants stuff. They want to buy things. And when the inflation starts to move from claims to wealth or from financial wealth to physical things, well, then that's when you start to see it in the in the official numbers. And the crazy thing is you've had all these central banks telling us for years, we don't have enough inflation. We need to create more. The cost of living is rising too slowly. This is a problem. We need to make sure that we have a more inflation. Well, be careful what you wish for, because in this case, you're definitely going to get it, and it's going to be bad. And again, the real problem is going to be that the Federal Reserve, right, is not going to be able to get this genie back in the bottle because to do so, you know, if they were to raise interest rates to the level that they need to to contain the inflation, well, then we'll have a much worse financial crisis than 2008. But the thing is, the dollar is falling right now, even though everybody believes the Fed's going to raise rates three times this year. Everybody believes that they're going to shrink the balance sheet. If they actually do that, this market's going to tank, right? Because that means that. All of that, you know, they're, they're not going to do anything to stop the bloodbath that's coming in this bond market. And the stock market cannot sustain this. I mean, eventually somebody's going to figure out that the drag on the economy from higher interest rates and higher consumer prices is going to be much bigger than the push that everybody thinks we're going to get from these tax cuts. And then the only way that they can try to stimulate this economy would be to reverse monetary policy. But that will completely destroy the dollar. And it will send commodities, it will send gold ballistic. And again, I think that this could happen very soon. I mean, I, I think people are taking a major chance, right, by not being prepared for this. Now, a lot of people are going to be critical of me. Oh, I prepared too early, right? I got some people prepared so far in advance that they've already given up because they've lost patience. And I, I feel bad about that, that this has happened. I don't feel bad about warning people, and I don't feel bad about warning people early because that's the only way you can warn people. I mean, yes, with the benefit of hindsight, could I have warned people a little later? Sure, but maybe they wouldn't have heard my warning if I waited too long. I mean, I still think getting off the Titanic early and getting into a lifeboat is a good thing. I mean, better yet, don't even buy a ticket. Don't even get on the boat, right? Don't take your chances that you're going to get off, you know, you're going to get on one of those lifeboats where they don't have enough lifeboats and a lot of people drown in that ship. So I don't feel bad about preparing people early for a disaster. Because the people who didn't prepare at all, well, they're going to get killed. I mean, and, and, you know, this woman that I talked to today, because, again, she was nearing retirement. And that's why she wanted to take less risk by tying her, hitching her retirement to the stock market wagon. She is going to have no retirement, right? She, her money is going to retire. She's not going to retire. She's going to be back in the workforce. I mean, I am convinced that that's what's going to happen. I mean, the last major bear market that we had in the dollar, I mean, really big, not like the one we had from 01 to 08, was in the 1970s. This one is going to be worse. Why did the dollar lose so much value in the 1970s? 
because we went off the gold standard. We devalued the dollar. We said, hey, the dollar used to be worth gold. Right? If you had $35, you can get an ounce of gold. And then we said, well, you can't get any gold for your dollars. Right? So once we had a dollar backed by nothing, it lost a lot of value. Well, now it's going to be the dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status, right? Because it's still backed by nothing, but people will accept it. It's the reserve currency, even though it's not backed by anything. See, in the 1970s, the dollar stayed as the reserve currency. It just got marked down because it was no longer as good as gold, but it was still the reserve currency. This time it's going to lose the status of the reserve currency and it's not going to be marked down. It's going to be down for the count, right? This is going to be the, the final nail in the coffin. And you know what happened during the 1970s? The American economy really changed. I mean, that is one of the reasons that we have so many two income families. You know, before the 1970s, 1960s, 1950s, most married women did not work, especially if they had kids. They didn't have a job. Why? Because their husband could afford to support them. So they didn't have to work. They could stay at home and raise the kids and take care of the house and do a lot of things. And, you know, it was a good life. Most women preferred that. They, but what happened during the 1970s is the dollar lost so much value. And taxes went up also to pay for all the great society programs. Plus, a lot of people's taxes got raised because of the bracket creep, right? Inflation was pushing people into higher tax brackets. So taxes were going up and the cost of living was going way up because the dollar was going down. And all of a sudden, women had to work because their husbands could no longer afford to support them based on the, the, you know, the loss of value of the money that they were earning, right? So now they had to work. It wasn't like they were being liberated. They were liberated because they didn't have to work. That's what's liberating, not having to work. When you're forced to work, especially a lousy job that you don't like, you've lost liberty, right? But all this stuff about, oh, you know, this is all great. Yeah, you know, for some women, fine. There are some career women out there and, you know, they, they you know, but a lot of women don't want to work. Believe it. You see a woman behind a cash register. She's six months pregnant. You think she wants to be working? No, she has to work. She's got no choice, right? She's not liberated. But what happened was the loss of value of the dollar during the 1970s, right? That basically changed the middle class, right? It was no longer, uh, you know, Ozzie and Harriet, leave it to Beaver, the Brady Bunch, right? Now, all of a sudden, both parents are working and the kids are coming home to an empty house, right? That was the reality. But that was a big change. I think the next major change is going to be retirement, right? Retirement is going to go the way of the single income household. I mean, yes, there are still very wealthy people who uh, only one uh, parent works, but that's the you know that's not that's not the the norm. That's the that's the exception. Well, that's what's going to happen in retirement. I think most people who are retired today, five years from now, they're back in the workforce. I don't know what they're going to do, but they're not going to be retired because their money is not going to provide the purchasing power that they need. Their investments are not going to provide it. They're going to go down with this ship. The stock market's going down. The dollar's going down. The bond market's going to get crushed. And there goes retirement. And I think a lot of people who think they're going to retire are just never going to do it. They're going to have to work until they can't breathe, right? They're until, until they've actually retired and now they're, they're six feet under. That's what's going to happen. And, but the whole standard of living is going to go down. But this idea that you can stop working is going to be a thing of the past. And I've said many times, you know, the real scary part is that Trump has taken all the credit for all the great things that he claimed has happened to the economy. It's a booming economy. You talk to Trump. We're going to get the GDP. 
for the uh, for the fourth quarter on Friday, and we'll see what the what the growth rate was for the entire first year of the Trump presidency. It won't be three percent; it'll be an annual growth rate of two something. So not a not a significant change from where we had been. I do agree that I think the GDP numbers for the first year are higher than they would have been because I still think we might have been in a recession had uh, had Clinton won because there would have been no hope for change. Trump won, at least he created a bunch of false hope that he could actually drain the swamp and make America great again. But when everybody is disappointed, because he's, you know, you know, you never want to overpromise and underdeliver. You want to do the you want to do the reverse. But Trump has promised the moon, right? And this is going to be massive disappointment on the part of the electorate. You know, as I said, I think they're going to bring back the misery index. That was, you know, what uh, Ronald Reagan used uh, to beat Jimmy Carter, right? Inflation, unemployment, interest rates, all this stuff is going to go up while, while Trump's in office on his watch after he's taken the bait of accepting responsibility for everything and taking ownership for everything, branding everything, right? And now he's, he's just set up for the fall. So you got to pay very careful attention to what is going on in these markets, right? The bond market, the dollar, the price of oil, right? All these trends are in motion, and they're going to continue in motion until something breaks in the stock market. The stock market is going to be the last market to get it, right? That's what happened in 1987. You had rising budget deficits. You had rising trade deficits. You had a weakening dollar. You had rising interest rates. All this stuff was happening, and everybody was buying stocks, no problem, no problem, until we ran into uh, a crash. And we are doing the exact same thing. We are marching to the same drum beat, narrowly focused, straight ahead, oblivious to all the things, all the warning signs that are out there, like a Mr. Magoo, you know, driving down the road, wrecking everything around him, no clue what's going on. The stock market will be the last market to get it. But once the stock market gets it, that's the beginning of the end, right? Because when you get U.S. dollar going down, U.S. bonds going down, and U.S. stocks, all three going down simultaneously, party's over. The problem is, if you're still at that party when that happens, you ain't getting out. Because that when everybody's trying to get out, and you can't get out, right? You know, because you're going to, you know, that the place has been raided, right? That you're going to, you're, you know, the, the cops are already there. It's too late. It's too late to leave, right? You got to, you got to get out now. And it's unfortunate that I said, you know, I've got people that are that are getting back into that party just in time uh, to get arrested and, and hauled off to jail um, like everybody else. But you still I mean, right now, things haven't collapsed yet. Right. It hasn't it hasn't turned into a route. Right. The dollar's decline is orderly and gradual. And so nobody's worried. And that will continue until it doesn't until it accelerates. The decline in the bond market is slow. Right. We're we're boiling a frog. Right. So he's not jumping out of the pot because he doesn't realize he's about to get, you know, get cooked. So everything is happening slowly. But look at these charts. But once we have some of these breakouts, right, I think once we get bond yields above three, three and a quarter on the 10 year price of gold above 1350, 1400, maybe the price of oil above 80 bucks. I don't know where it is. Um, but you look at all these things. Once they get above kind of key levels, they're just going to take off. Right. And then the Fed is going to be caught between that rock and the hard place. This is the predicament that they have put us in. Because then it continues to tighten and accelerates the collapse, right? And it's not like raising interest rates a quarter of a point 
three times in the next year is going to make gold go down or make the dollar go up. No, but it will continue the the course that we're on now, which is destruction for the economy and the stock market. If the Fed continues to, you know, to, to be on this course. Right. Because the dollar is already falling and everybody knows the Fed's going to keep raising rates. Bond prices are already falling. And, and, of course, the Fed is still pretending that it is going to shrink its balance sheet. And if it actually shrinks its balance sheet, it will simply accelerate the demise of the bond market, which means interest rates rise even faster. The dollar falls even faster. And so the problems get bigger. So the Fed can either continue to do what it's doing and, and watch its entire bubble deflate, as well as any chance of reelecting Trump, or they can admit the truth. Right. They can, you know, they could, you know, say uncle in this game of chicken. And they can reverse course. They can call off the rate hikes and then eventually cut rates. They can launch QE4. That's all they can do. And that leads to the collapse of the dollar. If the dollar hasn't already started to crash before they make that decision, making that announcement will we'll do it. right? And then, and then it's an avalanche. And then we'll see what they have, because now they might have to reverse again when they see the destruction that they've created in the currency markets. And even though they start buying treasury bonds, right, because they're going to print money to buy bonds to keep a lid on interest rates, maybe they decide to draw a line in the sand at 4%. Maybe they, maybe that's their breaking point. We won't let yields get above 4%. And they say, we're just going to print as much money as we have to to keep yields above 4%. Well, they're going to have to print a ton of it, because the minute the markets know that they've drawn that line in the sand, they're going to make them cross it. They're going to start dumping everything denominated in dollars. And then, of course, even if the Fed is able to keep treasury bond yields below 4%. What about corporate yields? What about municipal bonds? I mean, there I mean everything is, rates are going to be skyrocketing, right? If inflation is now let's say even 5 or 6%, which is still a low number compared to where it's going. But if the official inflation rate is 5 or 6%, nobody's going to buy a treasury yielding 4%. Why would you do that? Right? So there's no market. Why would you buy a corporate bond yielding that or a municipal bond? No one's going to buy it. The only buyer will be the Fed. And that's a banana republic, right? When the only buyer of your bonds is your own central bank, you're done. No, I just noticed something. You know, I've been so tied up today at this conference. I didn't see all the news, but I just read that President Trump just signed into law the first tariffs of his administration. So this may be the first shot in the trade war that America can't win. In fact, we will lose big league in this trade war. In fact, we're unarmed. We, we have no weapons, right? And it's actually aimed at China. We're trying to fight the Chinese. They have all the stuff we want. They're the ones that are lending us all this money. And if, if you know, they're going to stop, they're going to stop financing us if we're, you know, going to stop pretending to actually buy their stuff instead of conning them into lending us the money uh, so that we can pretend to buy their stuff. But it's a 30% tax on solar panels mainly low-cost solar panels that are imported from China. Now, this is great news for American manufacturers of solar panels because now they'll be able to sell more or at higher prices because they don't have to compete. But what about all the people who want to use solar panels? It's bad news for them. You know, I mean, it's, you know, if you're trying to find alternative sources of energy, they just made solar much more expensive. And so far fewer people are actually going to buy solar panels. And the ones that do are going to have to pay more money. It's a 30% tariff. But they also have a 20% tariff on washing machines. And after a certain number, it goes up to a 50% tariff. 
That is a huge increase in the price of a new washing machine. I mean, why does the president want to force Americans to pay more money if they want to buy a washing machine? Now, do you think the Chinese are going to are going to be happy about tariffs that are aimed directly at their businesses? You know, I believe that we're you know, we're going to help force the Chinese into doing the right thing, because you know what? There's a lot of people in China who don't even have washing machines who are still doing their laundry by hand. Right. So how about if the Chinese manufacture all those laundry machines for their own people? Let the dollar tank. Let the Chinese yuan go up. And they'll have a domestic market for their washing machines. And then maybe Americans will be washing uh, their clothes by hand. You know, we can start layering all these tariffs on and pretend that somehow this is a good thing. These tariffs are a tax and they're going to simply drive up prices even faster and make American businesses less efficient. Because now they're going to have to pay more for whatever they're using, because this is not the end of it. If they're imposing these tariffs, this is the beginning of a pattern. And so this is another thing to worry about, right? Tariffs are bad for the economy, especially if you're running a massive trade deficit like we are. I mean, we need that to continue. We've got this consumer driven bubble economy and the consumer can't spend if we don't have access to low cost imports. Now, these imports were going to get more expensive anyway. As the dollar went down, we're just going to accelerate the process. We're accelerating our own demise. So this is yet another major potential problem that nobody is worried about because they're too excited about the fact that the government's not shutting down. I mean, we'd be better off without the federal government. Let's just go back to the Articles of Confederation. The federal government is our enemy. It's not our friend. And it's especially our enemy when it's attacking us because, again, a trade war is like a currency war. The uh, object is to kill yourself. Well, unfortunately, in that respect, we'll win. But as far as the American people are concerned, we're going to lose. And President Trump promised that we would win. And this is going to be a gigantic loss, not only for America, but it's going to be a loss for the president and the Republican Party when frustrated, disappointed voters go in and completely reject the bill of goods that they were sold and unfortunately cast their ballot for an even worse empty promise of something for nothing by a socialist Democrat.